All right, well, this morning we are venturing further into a a very, very important series that sits in a category of words that that may not have enough frontline press for us sometimes. it's, It's the word disciple and the word discipleship, and they're obviously related. Uh, this word disciple, I want to pull this series out of the obvious setting that it sits in. This is a series about the church. It's a series about what, what we're doing here, uh, gathered together as members of the body of Christ. And unfortunately, church can become this thing that's kind of a secondary component of our lives. It's important it's kind of a secondary thing in our lives. And especially today, as we become more of a secular society than ever, other things in our lives have have become bigger issues. And and church, quite honestly, has become a lesser issue in our lives. But Jesus brought something to us as individuals. He brought a word to us that I want to say, this word trumps every other word in your life. It's the word disciple. At some point, whoever you are, wherever you're from, wherever you were born, whatever talents and gifts and dreams that you had as you grew up and did life, at some point, you met a sovereign God through his Savior who extended to you an insistent on his behalf invitation to be his disciple. To be that. You are my disciples. That's an identity marker. That quite honestly trumps everything else about our lives. I mean, think of the most pronounced thing that you identify with. Disciple trumps it. Well, I'm I'm a husband. Yeah, I am. That's a massive part of the calling of my life. But being a disciple trumps that. I'm a father. And I want to raise my kids and I want to invest in them and I want to walk with them and I want to celebrate all that it means to be a dad in my children's lives. Disciple comes along and trumps that. Maybe there's a talent that I have or you have that has turned into a sense of occupation. It's what I make a living doing. It's what I'm known for by others. Disciple comes along and trumps that. It supersedes everything else in our lives. And so whether you're old enough to have been doing something for a long time or you're a young person trying to figure out what am I going to be and what am I going to do? And all those titles, Keith, that you just described, they await me. Uh, This one that we're talking about today trumps all of those. It sits supreme in our lives. And so if I'm going to try and figure out how to live a fulfilling life, which all of us are trying to, that word is the most significant word for me to understand and identify with. So this, this series, we've pulled it into this discipleship category. and got some subheadings, and I'm probably feeling like, okay, a little complicated to follow along here. So subheadings of our long series here are the aim of discipleship. Last week we said the ultimate aim of discipleship is glorifying God. There's nothing in the universe, no other reason. Now, there's lots of reasons, but there's no other reason that rivals that reason. The ultimate reason for everything God has created is for him to receive glory from it. But when we look at the scriptures today, the aim of discipleship is growing. 
God has an aim for us in these discipleship category. And that would be describing what's the church about? Right? And, and this is, I don't want to overlook something. You and I have grown up in, in a culture that was greatly influenced and shaped by Christianity. It's becoming a post-Christian culture, but it's still got some fingerprints on it that are different than if you were a missionary going to a foreign culture where Christianity and Judeo-Christianity and biblical values and patterns of life had not been touched yet by the scriptures, you would be interacting with people's lives very differently. So it's quite possible you and I have been going to church because that's, that's kind of what people do in our culture. You know, you guys remember not too long ago that there were these blue laws that didn't allow for businesses to be open on Sundays, right? You remember those days? And, you know, you couldn't go. It wasn't just Chick-fil-A. It was like everybody was closed on Sunday because it followed a pattern that got created by the scriptures. And you followed that pattern whether you were a Jesus follower or not. You followed that pattern. And you may have followed the pattern of just going to church. I mean, I did growing up. I didn't know Jesus. He wasn't my savior. But I went to church every Sunday. My family went to church every Sunday. I was not saved. I was not a Jesus follower. I was a religious person. And so we can be doing a lot of things without really understanding why are we doing what we're doing. So you can grow up in a church setting. And you never really own the sense of what's going on here. Right, so sometimes I have people ask that. And maybe you're new to the church. It's a good question for you to ask. Lakeview Christian Center. What are you doing? What's this all about? Why are we here? Why you got this alpha thing going on? Why you got other courses that are happening? Why you have all these other gatherings that people are a part of? And you understand you do something like small groups. And, you know, why, why do you do all that? You know, why did you invite people to, to give of their finances Toward God. Why, why do you do this stuff? Well, if I don't know why, I'm probably missing out on some massive, wonderful insights that could be bringing great joy into my life as I do each and every one of the things that God's called the church to do. So Jesus thought it very important. Last night he was with his disciples. He thought it very important to sit with them and to explain to them discipleship and their life of being a disciple through the illustration of a vine its branches, and fruit bearing. So that's what he does on his last night here. And we read this passage in length last week in John chapter 15. I'm going to read pieces of it today. And I want you to hear a phrase over and over and over again. It's going to be said seven times just in this brief section we're going to read. John 15 verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. In verse 4, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. By this my father, verse 8, 
is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And later in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Let's pray together. Lord, kind of hard to miss the repetition of what you are saying to your disciples this last evening that you were together with them. It seems to matter to you that disciples would bear fruit. And Lord, whether I woke up during the days of this week with that on my mind, occupied with it, thinking, Lord, is there, is there fruit being born in my life today, yesterday, this week? Lord, you are observing that. You're intentional about that. You're paying attention to it. You have a value for it. You call it like it matters. So, Lord, would you help us this morning? Lord, maybe we have gotten sucked into the vortex of life's activity, doing life in a modern setting on planet Earth in a place called America. And there's just a lot on our minds and our calendars are filled up. And, and Lord, maybe we don't have a moment where we're going to reflect on whether our lives bear fruit. But this morning, you've got our attention. So, Lord, would you give us insights into what you had in mind? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so one thing I wrote in your outline here, massively, 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 not to be missed or overlooked, is the fact that we are being introduced to a process. This illustration that Jesus picks up and he says, hey, you want to understand your life? Okay, let's get all the parts right. I'm the vine. You're the branches. My father is the vine dresser. All right. Now we're ready to do life. So those ingredients are absolutely critical for you and me to live a life that really is in step with Jesus is to understand those things. But he just described to us something that has a process in it. It's going to start at one level. There's going to be activity that comes along. And then eventually more things are going to begin to happen. What is going on here is ongoing, incremental, day-to-day, season-to-season. This incremental growing up on your outline is going to be taught and highlighted all throughout the New Testament. So what Jesus picks up as an illustration here is not unique. It's going to be followed up with other Holy Spirit-inspired writers who are going to say the same exact thing, just going to use a similar illustration but they're going to say the same exact thing. And I just want us to catch that. So if I move from Jesus with his vine dresser and his vine and his branches to Paul, this is what Paul sounds like when he says the same thing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 1. Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show, you show something 
that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the, the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, hold on one second before I get to this last verse in this chapter. Paul comes along and describes something. He describes something about Christian lives that he says, you know what you're like? It's another illustration here. You're, you're, like, a, you're like a letter that somebody can read. It's like your life is like this living epistle that when people walk up to you, they, they can read stuff from your life. And the things that they read, they, they come from the inside out. They are writing that the Holy Spirit has done on the inside of you that becomes observable. He says, you show something, a secret writing, because quite honestly, no one can see that writing. It's written on the human heart, but it becomes manifest so that others can actually see it and read it. Now, how many of you guys know he's not talking about tattoos here? This is not like, hey, you've got this writing all over your skin. I'm reading it. Your life is speaking something. The manner of your life, the tone of your life, the words of your life, the actions of your life become words that people can read. What's, what's the source of that? Well, let me tell you what it's not in this passage. It's not some external code written down somewhere else outside of you that you just try and morally live up to. You do the best you can to put on certain types of behavior in all your strength and might. You follow some code that belongs to those people that go to that church over there. No, he says, no, this, this is something that went into the inside of you and then it found its way out of you. It's an expression of something on the inside. Well, this is exactly what Jesus was illustrating. Right? When Jesus picks up <clears throat> the vine illustration... The previous chapter, Jesus had explained clearly to them, listen, this, this is what's going to happen to you guys. I'm going away, but the Father is going to send the Spirit to you. And he is going to take up his life in you. Remember, Jesus had said, out of your innermost being is going to flow these rivers of living water. So this internal thing is going to happen inside of you, and it's going to result in something that gets expressed outside of you. Well, in the vine illustration, it's like... The branches receive the, the sap, the life-giving sap of the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing, right? You guys know this. If you've ever trimmed a branch off of a tree or off of a vine, the second you cut the sap off, the life is done in that branch, isn't it? It can't sustain itself apart from the sap flowing into the branch. But something is going to become observable in this branch, Something that you can read and pay attention to and see. And in Jesus' illustration, it's fruit. There's going to be fruit. And Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. You'll be able to see that there's really life in this tree because it's going to produce fruit of a certain kind to give away the nature of that tree. 
All right, so same exact illustrations being used here. Paul's using a letter. Jesus is using a vine. Paul goes on and says this, because we need a little clarity here. So what's this fruit bearing all about, right? Be careful how you fill that in, right? Does fruit bearing meaning having children? Does fruit bearing meaning, you know, Lakeview Christian Center adds people to this place? You know, what does fruit bearing mean? Well, in Paul's illustration, this observable demonstration of the inner life of the Spirit, in verse 17, he says this. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's a huge word. In other words, there's, there's a movement in this work of the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom from something. So we actually are moving away from something in the Christian life. There's something that we used to be bound to, that it used to be attached to us. It used to own us. It took possession of us. It determined what Tuesday was going to be like. And then something of the Spirit's work comes along. And now there is this ever-increasing freedom taking place in our life. Can I just break some news to you? Because remember, we're, we're, we're learning about a process in this illustration. This is not instantaneous. You don't go from, hey, I was bound in something. Now, never even think about it. Never even touches me. Never even around. There's freedom that quite usually in the Christian life is incremental. It is why Paul sounds the way he does in other places. He's describing the same thing when he says, put off this and this and this and this and put on this. See, Christianity is moving away from something. It's becoming free from something. Verse 18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is Paul explaining the readability of Christians. This is Paul saying, God has done an inward work to write something on your heart that becomes the work of the Spirit in you. Right? It's God who's at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God is writing on your heart desires. These are not external rules that you feel the peer pressure of others to force you to do. Now, how many of you guys know I just described Christianity for way too many people? Matter of fact, we're not exempt from that. If you grew up in a church where you start to pick up that people's approval of me and affection toward me is based on whether or not I'm a good Christian or not, whether or not the people around here will applaud me or ignore me, then, then quite honestly, community of the body of Christ, we're installing something in their hearts to respond to something out there rather than teaching them to respond to something of the spirit in here. There's a writing on the inside of us. It wants to express itself out of us. And that's going to bring freedom and it's going to bring something observable. And in this passage, it brings transformation. We're changing the way we look by this process. Transformation, listen, into the same image. Hold on to that word image. It's an extremely important concept. 
from one degree of glory to another. All right, so this is a process. If there's anything I could say today and just close up and say, hey, like, we could go home right now. This would be it. Is that the work of God's, what God is doing in a disciple is a process that goes from one degree to another degree, to another degree, to another degree. It is an ongoing work. And, and, and if you're not aware of that, it has a detrimental effect on your own encouragement. Because you probably would feel like, hey, there's some areas of my life where I, I feel like, man, I just had this encounter with God. I went from like five degrees to 10 degrees. I mean, it was like this blast that took place. And I believe that's true. I believe God does that kind of stuff. He just boom you to a new location of expressing his life and being released and freed from things. And there's going to be other things in your life that go from uh, five degrees to six degrees to seven degrees. To eight degrees. Am I ever going to get to nine? (laughs) And that's what it can feel like. And if you're not prepared for your Christian life to feel that way. The way God operates in your world and in your life is going to become very foreign to you and very frustrating to you. And, and sometimes we don't help in that category because, you know, we kind of give these highlight reels about what God did in our lives. And we, and we don't kind of include the fact that I stalled between degree eight and degree nine for a really, really, really long time. I was full of doubt, unbelief. I struggled. Matter of fact, I think I went from eight back to about four and then I moved forward from five to six. And it was just a long battle. We just tell the story about we're at 10. We're at 10 in this area. Oh, God is so great. Well, you, let me say what God has done in me. And we just don't narrate the whole thing. And so we're sitting around struggling to get from five to six. And it's like, oh, I just can't seem to get any farther in this category. And everybody else is doing great. Um, I can I just tell you, you're in the Bible if you're going from one degree of glory to another. You're just taking the next step. And I want to install that phrase. If you want to figure out the strategy behind anything we're doing here as disciple making in the body of Christ, we're just trying to get you to go one degree further than wherever you are. That's what we're doing. Wherever you are, maybe you're at the 27th degree by now. All right, well, we're not done with you and we're not going to give up on you just because you're not at the fifth degree. Yeah, you're a lot farther along. God's done a lot more work. A lot more transformation has taken place. We just want to get you to 28 now. And then when you get to 28, we're not going to be satisfied then either. We're going to be wanting to see you get to 29. Because God is doing something in this moment. He, and it has to do with that image thing. God is transforming us into the same image. There's an image involved in our transformation. We are headed towards something. And this has always been God's plan. Romans 8 verse 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So before you and I showed up, before you and I drew a breath, before we started to live life, had an agenda, tried to accomplish things or be something in life, the God of the universe already had prepared a purpose for our lives. He had predestined things. He had pre-planned them. This is what God wanted from long ago. It's not new. It's what God wanted from long ago. He foreknew us and he predestined us, listen, to be 
conformed to the image of his son. What's God doing in this moment? What's God doing at Lakeview Christian Center? What's God doing at the address where you live? What's God doing in your life on Tuesday afternoon? On Friday morning when you don't feel like facing the day? What is, what is God doing? Well, you can be assured of this. He is at work conforming you to the image of his son. This is what God does. This is God's purpose. And I'm not sure if I wrote this in your outline or not. Ultimately, God is filling the earth with his glory. And that's not a new concept. That's all throughout the scripture. God, what are you up to right now? Well, surely the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. God has a plan to bring his glory into creation. So when we read in John chapter 15, by this is my father glorified, glorified that you bear much fruit. So God's glory is connected to our fruit bearing. Fruit bearing is about revealing the glory of God, because what is it doing? Well, it's taking the life of God that's in the vine and transferring it through the branches to be observable. It's an illustration of his life produces this fruit. Verse 16 of John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. How many of you guys know that's unpacking the doctrine of predestination? And God has come along and clearly saying, hey, you know what? You guys wouldn't give me the time of day. You were so consumed with yourselves, lost in sin, darkened and under the influence of a world that is darkened by the enemy and the darkness in your own soul. You didn't even have the time of day for me. I chose you. Why'd you do that, God? And I appointed you. Why? That you should go and bear fruit. That your life would produce fruit from the life that God has given us. So, so what exactly is this fruit bearing? Sinclair Ferguson's written a really helpful book called Maturity a couple of years ago. He says, what does Jesus mean when he speaks about bearing fruit? Is he, as sometimes been assumed, urging his disciples to engage in various forms of evangelistic activity? At this point in their lives, that was probably the last thing on their minds. The context makes it far more likely that his concern here is for them to bear fruit of the Spirit and to develop stable Christian character. I love the fact that he used the word stable there. Because when you watch a plant go through its seasons, its one degree of plant existence to another, it's not, all, it's not always ready to bear fruit. It's not always in a posture and the strength to bear fruit. Sometimes it just needs to sprout up out of the ground and just be a tender little shoot that's got to be protected. Sometimes you got to, you, know, you guys who like to do gardening, you know, you got to stick a stake in the ground and tie that thing to it because when it, next time it rains and the wind blows, it's going down because it's not stable. St- Stability is part of growth. Maybe what God's doing in some of our lives in certain categories, just moving us from vulnerability to stability on our way to bearing much fruit in these categories. This is not their gifts or position, but their growth in grace will prove a person to be a disciple. Their growth. How do you know if that vine's alive? Well, the the life of the vine is being transferred into the branches and you can see its life. 
So Jesus said, you know, if you really belong to me, you're going to bear fruit. If you really are attached to me, there's going to be life, my life flowing in your life. And there's going to become things that are observable, readable by people. People can encounter it. They can observe fruit in your life. So John 15 is an illustration of a vine that's transferring its life from the inside out. And people can observe fruit hanging from this vine. Second Corinthians 3 is Paul saying the same thing. He said, God has done this internal work. He has gone on the inside by the Holy Spirit. And he's written upon your hearts. And that writing now begins to push its way out. It, it transforms your attitude. It brings different feelings towards life and what you encounter. You used to respond this way. Well, put that off now because you have a new life in you and you can let that life come flowing out and people can read joy where there used to be bitterness. People can read mission and purpose where there used to be emptiness and depression and self-obsession. There's something new in us and it can be read by those around us. I wrote in your outline, the image of God is connected to the glory of God. So what we said last week rules everything we're talking about. The purpose, the aim that God has is about his glory being manifest in his world. That was from the beginning, was it not? Remember when God created man, the crown of his creation? He says, let us make man in our image. Male and female, he made them in the image of God. Why do you and I exist? To image God. And when we go to image him, what what will people see? They will see the glory of God. Glory is a complicated word, but it's a tremendous word in scripture. it's, It's God's nature. It's God's character. It's who he is. So the world will begin to see and read a story about who God is by seeing his life manifest in our lives. And that is God's intention. All right, John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The word became flesh. This is Jesus in his incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. We have read his life. We have seen fruit that God is present in this man named Jesus Christ. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. See, glory has characteristics to it. Those aren't the only characteristics, but glory has characteristics to it. And when one saw Jesus you saw fully what the glory of God and the nature and character of God looked like in human form. That's what you saw. What was fumbled by the first Adam, who was given the responsibility and the call in his life to image God into the world, and it got fumbled right away, didn't it? And now man became in his own image, right? Later on, man is described as being in the image of man. And he still retains pieces of of aspects of the glory of God being imaged in him. But it's damaged and it's hard to discern and it's difficult to see. But when Jesus Christ comes along, he is, he's the second Adam. He is the exact representation of the glory of God in human form. That's what Hebrews says. He is the radiance of the glory 
of God. And so you could ask the same question to Jesus. You bump into him on the street and you say, Jesus, what are you doing here, man? What's your ministry all about? Well, I am the radiance of the glory of God. Everything Jesus was doing was radiating the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Right, you just stop right there. If we just learned that this writing of God on the inside of us has this intention to image God and to conform us to the image of his son. Well, what is that image? Well, it is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So what are you and I being conformed to? The imprint of the nature of God and his glory. That's what incrementally I'm moving from one degree of that to another, to another, to another. I hope my story is that that is more clear now than it's ever been. I hope next week it's a little bit more clear. I hope a month from now and a year from now, it's a little bit more clear of what the glory and the radiance of the imprint of God upon our lives is. That's what it means to be conformed. John 2, 11, early in Jesus' ministry, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory. He manifested it. It became observable. It got published. You can now read something about it. And they would read the things that Jesus did. Right? Remember, Jesus, everywhere he's going, he's manifesting the glory of God. So when he speaks to a demon... And he tells that demon, stop doing what you've been doing. Whatever it was you wanted to do next is done. Do this now. And the demon obeys. And the people did what? They freaked out, didn't they? This guy has power like we've never. So what was he doing? He was just manifesting the glory, the authority, the nature of God. When he healed people, when he did miracles, he was manifesting the rightful nature of the glory of God over his creation. 1 John chapter 1, again, John picks this stuff up and just presents it to us so clearly. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, right? Fruit is observable. Handwriting on people's lives is observable and readable. Which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. Jesus, what are you doing here? I'm revealing the glory of God. I am the exact imprint, the image of the father. I am making him known into his creation. That's what I'm doing here. Christian, what are you doing here? You could say the same exact thing. To be a disciple is to be a follower of Jesus. You don't get a different assignment. You get the exact same assignment. It is the restoration of the image of God in a fallen world with much opposition, with our own temptations and our own struggles and sin. But this is the call that God has given to each and every one of us. And this is what God is up to. So then we get this awareness. Jesus said, okay, this is how this works. I'm the vine. You're the branches. My father's the vine dresser. What's he going to be up to? He's going to be up to making sure fruit is born in our life. He's a vine dresser. 
vine dressers had that responsibility in the vineyard to tend to the garden in such a way that optimum fruitfulness was going to happen. So Jesus is breaking news to all of us. Uh, My father is doing something in your life. He has an agenda. He has a purpose. When he comes to touch your life, he's after something. And Jesus is pretty clear here. Seven times he says, he's after you bearing fruit. Whatever he's doing in your life, it is for that purpose. And that fruit is the manifesting of his life and his glory so that his image may be born in this world. So if you're trying to figure out what on earth, right? These are the questions that sound like, what on earth is going on right now? You haven't been in a place in your life where you're asking that question? I mean, just It's a head scratcher, right? There's just stuff happening and you're wondering, what on earth? What you're, what you're asking, a form of your own question is, what is the vine dresser doing right now? That might be your question. Not just what is random events doing in my life right now? What is chance doing in my life right now? What are other people doing in my life right now? What is fate doing in my life right now? Hey, good luck. What is luck doing in your life right now? All right, this is what a secular world sounds like. It just sounds like the powers that create the world that you and I live in are all in the hands of people because as we said last week, we live in a man-centered universe. So away from the idea that there's a vine dresser who's at work every day and every moment touching his vine and managing what's going on in it. No, instead, you're managing it. Which, if you, if you get to know yourself a little bit, doesn't that just scare the daylights out of you? I mean, the, the older I get, the more I know myself. I, I don't want to be in charge of anything. I mean, I just know. I, I mean, I can't do house projects. I didn't even set my clock this morning. To, so to take on the meaningfulness of my life and what makes my life go from this address to that address, from, from this condition to that condition. Oh, how many guys, I, I love the fact, and we'll get into this next week, and how, I love the fact that there's obedience in the Bible and there's things that God has called us to do. But there's not this life that's subtracting a vine dresser out of it that you and your ability to obey God and your ability to move yourself from one degree to another. That's what's at work right here. Welcome to Lakeview Christian Center. We're going to pump you up, motivate you, and give you all you need to do to make yourself go from here to here. Well, Paul starts off by saying, hey, before I tell you that God's transforming you, I just want to raise the question, who is adequate for this? That's what he says in 2 Corinthians 3. So this, this is a work of the spirit that takes place in our lives. And so I, I know the pressure gets on us. We, we do that to ourselves because we live in a world that's completely man-centered. But you and I are part of a vine where the vine dresser is paying attention to every detail, every day, every moment. There's no vacations. He doesn't take the day off. He's not off reading somewhere. He's not playing golf today. He's a vine dresser every day, every moment of our lives. But realize what he's after might not be what we're after. He wants his image to be borne out in our lives. He wants his glory to radiate through our created existence. And he immediately introduces us to something that is a little bit of a painful enterprise. 
My father is a vine dresser. Let me just break the news to you. Vine dressers prune their vines so that they will bear more fruit. So let me just spend a few minutes today just running you through real quickly. The vine dresser engages our lives. And and this can be confusing to us. But if we get the illustration, this will be very helpful to us to cooperate with him. Be able to say, okay, God, I think I think I get what you're doing here. And I want to make room for that. Sinclair Ferguson says, my father is the vine dresser, said Jesus. How we think about God will determine a great deal about how we live the Christian life. These simple words speak volumes about both the character and the activity of the father. They reflect the constancy, patience, interest, and labor which the father bestows on both his son and his people. Jesus concentrates on one particular aspect of the vine dresser's activity. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it. The verb is kathero, to cleanse. It's the root of the word catharsis, an experience that cleanses the emotions is derived from that one. In this context, it refers to a cleansing that takes place not by washing, as in John 13, but by cutting. Divine cutting has inner cleansing in view. The Christian life involves ongoing pruning. What does this mean? The Father's pruning includes his providences and interventions in our lives, which is designed to produce in us mature and well-rounded Christian character. It would be accurate as we question our lives, what is going on? Say, what is God doing? What is the vine dresser doing? This is what he's doing. He is pruning lives from the inside out so that greater fruit can be born in our lives. And that pruning is both painful and purposeful in our lives. Being aware of that helps me at least lean in. It doesn't always make me want to run to it because I'm one who wants to run away from pain. But here's an interesting insight about vines. Leon Morris in his commentary says, Left to itself, a vine will produce a good deal of unproductive growth. For maximum fruitfulness, extensive pruning is essential. The fruit of the Christian service is never the result of allowing the natural energies and inclinations to run riot. The natural energies and inclinations to run riot. And this is where pruning can be such a bad rub. It tends to interact with our natural energies and inclinations. There's something just kind of impulsively in me that when I go to do life, I want to do it this way. I want to grow this way. I want to touch that thing. I want to do that thing. I want to have it this way. I want to be in that relationship. That there's something of a natural inclination in me and pruning comes along and shows up right there. doesn't show up in spaces necessarily where nobody's paying attention to. You didn't even notice. You didn't know there's any pruning going on because you don't feel it because you're not paying attention to that. no. No, it tends to show up in the areas where you'd like to grow more. And God wants to say, oh, that's not the kind of growth I was interested in. And so it interferes with something that is very natural to us. And thus, that makes it quite a bit harder to interact with. 
me give you a thought from a, uh, a vineyard. This is a, actually a, an actual article from a vineyard about the ways in which vines grow and grapevines are tended to. The title of the article was Struggling Vines Produce Better Wines. It says, there's nothing natural about a vineyard. The grapevine's natural habitat is woodland where it grows as a climbing plant that uses trees and bushes as support. Left to itself and given an adequate water supply, a vine will send out long, fast-growing shoots that search for something to climb up. Climbing shoots attach themselves firmly to the support plant by tendrils. Where a shoot touches the ground, it has the capacity to develop a new root system. And in its woodland habitat, a vine will produce, listen, relatively few small bunches of rather tart grapes that would make pretty thin, acidic wines. Vines need vine dressers to be fruitful, to produce the greatest, sweetest of fruit. They need vine dressers. They don't do well on their own. It's counterproductive for them. Now, I'm going to skip that next section, but I want you to go back and look at it because the writer of Hebrews is yet another New Testament person picking up this exact same theme and saying the exact same thing. So Jesus says, you're a vine. There's this pruning thing going on for the sake of greater fruit. Paul comes along and says, God is at work in you. He's writing stuff on the inside. He's transforming you from one degree of glory to another so that the glory can be seen through you. And then the writer of Hebrews comes along. I'm just going to read you the last few verses starting in verse 7. It introduces us to something called a father's discipline. Same point, just another illustration that God disciplines his sons. The same way that a vine dresser gets up and does something with the vine because he has something in mind. A father has something in mind for his sons. In verse 7, it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and a vine dresser is treating you as branches. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Do you understand? This is just the writer of Hebrews saying the same thing everybody else has been saying. What is it to share in the holiness of God? Well, the holiness of God is the glory of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The the earth cries out. The beings that God created cry out that there is something like nothing else is like you, Lord. You are unique in all of your ways. You are holy. And God turns around and says, manifest that holiness in your life. Let fruit come forth from the life that I've put in you. Let it be readable as people get around you and they can read the story of who I am as they read your life and what I've written on your heart. You are sons of mine. Represent me in the earth and show my holiness. So one of the values that we have around here centers around that word holiness. 
And unfortunately, it needs to be rescued from being mishandled. Holiness sounds like some Puritan word that has to do with really restrained boundaries where everybody gets told what not to do. That's holiness, right? That's not holiness in this passage. What God wants us to share in is his very life. I mean, God's not restrictive, restrained, boring, got nothing to do here. Take all the fun away and just live like God. God's the ultimate alive being in the universe. To share in his holiness means to bring our little lives with all of our confusion and screwed up value systems into his life. He's the only one fully alive. And he says, I want you to share in that. Adam lost that, but my son regained it. And, I, and incrementally, I want you to share in it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. That's what God's doing. And that word discipline, it, it, it needs to get rescued as well. For our good. For fruitfulness. So that our story is a readable, glorious story coming from our lives. Every one of us have God's intention to do that in our story. Let me use one more word that the vine dresser uses. The word distressing. Actually, Keith, you can come back. I'm just going to pray for us today. So you don't need to bring an army with you. Just you and some music. The word distressing is a good vine word. And Gina and I, a number of years ago, got to tour a vineyard out in California. It was so intriguing to listen to the owner of the vineyard explain to us how he managed his vineyard. Uh, and he just came right out and explained to us how they distress the vines. Right, so I'm a person, if I'm growing anything, I'm probably going to drown it. Right? I'm going to overwater it because I, you know, I want it to be healthy, etc. Because I don't understand plants. Uh, this guy understood the plants. He understood. And so it was interesting to walk around the vineyard and to watch and see. And quite often, the ground around the, the base of the plant, it just looked way too dry. It was kind of like, dude, you need to water your stuff here. <laughs> he knew that you need to distress these vines if they're going to produce the best wines. And so that's part of their strategy, right? So here's further from that article, Struggling Vines Produce Better Wines. More modern methods of growing grapes in close spaced rows on wire trellising take advantage of the fact that making the vines struggle generally results in better quality grapes. It's a bit like people. Place someone in a near perfect environment, giving them every comfort and all they could ever want to satisfy their physical needs, and it could have rather disastrous consequences for their personal and for them personally and in their physique. If you take a grapevine and make its physical requirements for water and nutrients easily accessible, then somewhat counterintuitively, it will give you poor grapes. Forgive my anthropomorphism, but this is because the grapevine has a choice. Given a favorable environment, and it will choose to take the vegetative route. That is, it will put its energies into making leaves and shoots, right? It's, it'll put its energies into its natural inclinations. Effectively, it is saying, this is a fine spot. I'm going to make myself at home here. It won't be too bothered about making grapes. But making things difficult for the vine by restricting water supply 
making nutrients scarce, pruning it hard and crowding it with close neighbors, and it will take the hump. It will sense that this is not the ideal place to be a grapevine. Instead of devoting itself to growing big and sprawling, it will focus its effort on reproducing itself sexually, which for a grapevine means making grapes. Oh, Oh, that American Christianity would read that last line. How many of us have taken our Christianity and have dipped it in our natural energies and inclinations and we're happy here and we want to spread out more? We want more and more and more of whatever it is that's in this terrain. And we just want to grow our tendrils into more and more and more stuff here. Can I tell you the effect that's having on the church? There's less and less and less fruit in the people of God. Because God didn't intend us to make ourselves at home here. He didn't intend us to spread our tendrils as far as they could go and to try and find everything we could find, everything we could be involved in. Climb up that tree, wrap yourself around that bush, put down roots right here. Be involved in everything you can. Spread your energies as far as they can go. That was not God's purpose. We have the same purpose that the second Adam had. To image the glory of God through our lives. And for that to happen, the vine dresser will be at work every day, faithfully in our lives. And that's probably going to feel distressing. Because he's producing the fruit of his life through our lives. James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That word perfect there, it's translated seven times in the New Testament as mature. Count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter trials. Right? James, just using another illustration. I love the fact that the Bible uses so many illustrations. Trials. Count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter pruning. And let pruning have its effect that you may be mature. Because in your maturity, you're going to bear fruit for the glory of God. So God, what are you doing? What are you doing in our lives? What are you doing right now in the midst of your story? Hey, Lakeview Christian Center, what is God doing here? So if you're new to the church and you're trying to figure out, hey, what's this church all about? The phrase that captures this is when we stick up on these boards all the time. What are you doing, Lakeview Christian Center? Well, we are growing together for the glory of God. And I don't know if you've read that phrase and you've thought, oh, okay, that means we want to be like a mega church. We're growing, we're trying to be really big. Uh, no. We're trying to be a healthy church that brings forth the image of God. We are growing from one degree of glory to another. We're just together going to take the next step together in growing in God, being transformed by the grace of his work, by the Holy Spirit in our lives. What are we doing here? We're just trying to help one another take the next step. Wherever you are, 
So I'll give you a couple things to reflect on. This is in your outline here, and I'm just going to close with some prayer. I have notes somewhere. Why does this matter? Somebody got some notes? Yeah, I usually bring notes, but... All right, so last little paragraph there. Why does understanding growing matter so much? This is not a minor point. This is a massive point in discipleship. Well, first, because it means at every moment of my journey and experience in Christ, there's one more step for me to know and experience more fully. That's true if you just got saved last week. And it's true if you've been saved for decades. And it's a decade, guys, that sometimes need to hear that even more. Because they've stopped thinking there's more. We've gotten very familiar with things. But you know, in God, it's one degree to another. So maybe you're at 37% now. Congratulations, that's pretty high. But there's still 38. And God's at work to get you to 38 because he's presenting more and more of his image through your life. This matters because it installs an understanding that life is a process, not a switch. You don't instantaneously go from this to that. And if that's what your expectation has been, I'm going to hear a message, I'm going to read a book, and I'm going to instantly go from here to there. No. You're going to incrementally go from here to there. It's a process. This matters because when God's strategy prioritizes the things that make us grow, we need to welcome that and not be confused or put off by it. When life is distressing, when life is painful, when we feel the cold, sharp blade of cutting in our lives, my initial response is to resist that and call it bad and to want to stay away from it. But it is God producing fruit in my life. And lastly, this matters because the community we are a part of is filled with people who are in process. The people we're walking with, the people in our households, parents walking with their kids, stop trying to install switches in their life. You just can't flip a switch and they're going to go from here to that. No, they're going to incrementally, and sometimes they're going to go backwards too, and then incrementally a little bit forward. Husbands and wives, hasn't that been your own experience? Body of Christ, everybody you're walking with here is in process. They're on their way. They're taking a step. They're struggling to take the next one. You struggle sometimes, right? To take the next one. To go from one degree of glory to another sometimes just doesn't come as easily in some categories for me. At least that's been true. I hope you're patient with me as I seek to walk with God from one degree of glory to another. I hope the environment of the body of Christ doesn't, doesn't feel like a bunch of people who have these bitter looking faces on while we expect stuff from others. And when you disappoint us, you don't live up to the way in which we think you ought to be living. It feels like you're not welcomed in this environment. Anybody think they're over 50%? I'm just curious. So all of us got a long way to go, don't we? One degree of glory to another. And God is tending to that every day of our lives. We're growing together for the glory of God. Let's stand up together.
Father, when we awaken to a new day, maybe help us, especially this week, in a new mindset. We've got stuff on our calendar. We've got things that we're going to be engaging. We've got places we need to be and people we have to interact with. Lord, install in our mind the vine dresser is at work today. He's at work in his providence. He's at work in disrupting our lives. He's at work in stuff that just looks like the common every day. The vine dresser is at work in our lives for our good, for his glory, to bring forth his life just a little bit more than was being brought forth yesterday or last year. God, what a privilege. Lord, if, if there was anything that could be expressed and readable from my life, Lord, what, what story would I really, really want to be read from my life more than any other? A story about me, some nobody from River Ridge, Louisiana? A person who, maybe I'm impressed with something about myself, but I can't sell that to anybody else to be impressed with. I want them to read that story. That's the story. God, what a crazy idea. I get to tell your story. I get to manifest your life. I get your character and your nature imprinted upon me. I get to be part of restoring the image of the creator into his creation. Lord, would you help me to stop shopping for something worth doing in my life and to treasure a calling that is unrivaled and like nothing else. So Lord, whether it's today, tonight, tomorrow, a year from now, God, I just want to take the next step. I just want to grow a little bit more so that your life is a little bit more seen and the applause of heaven gets a little bit louder. heavenly hosts look on to our lives to our church and they see more vividly the glory of God in human form expressed lived Lord ultimately ultimately we know it's for our good but ultimately it is for your glory in Jesus name amen amen God bless you guys have a wonderful awesome week Hey guys, if you are here this morning, you just like somebody to pray with you about something, anything from a physical need to a challenge you're going through to a moment of faith crisis, come find the prayer team. They'll be up here waiting for you in the front and just come join them. They'll be glad to pray with you.